Hey guys, good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, today. There's a lot of different reasons that you may have joined us. We have people all over the world uh, that are watching. Uh, we want to let you know that we want to know you. Um, if we don't have a relationship with you in any way, uh, we want to hear about your story, what God's doing in your life. And a couple of ways that you can do that with us uh, is by going to our website at lifepointchurch.org um, where you can follow us on our social media accounts at our Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram. We have hope and, and pray that this sermon today uh, would help you in your relationship with Christ. Um, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, we want to help you uh, find one and, and know that uh, Jesus Christ is real. We want to help you in that. Part of having a relationship with Christ is being a part of a local congregation. Um, this today's sermon is not a substitute for biblical community. Um, it is just supplemental in your relationship. So we would hope that to see you um, at one of our gatherings on a Sunday morning at either 9 or 1030. Uh, so we really hope that we see you there soon. Uh, come see us and thanks again for, for joining us today. If you have your Bibles, go John chapter 2. We're going to go verses 13 through 25 today. Uh, so out of the gate, listen, I love action movies. Uh, I love action movies. I'm, I'm talking like Braveheart, uh, Gladiator. Those are some of the, my, my biggest ones. Uh, Y'all know I'm a Star Wars nerd as well, so I've got that in there. But there's just something about action movies, I think, that just kind of draws us to them. There's something about that the, the hero who fights injustice and just opens up a can, a clean house on people that are trying to oppress. And there's just something that just draws us to that story, right? And that's what we're going to see today in John chapter 2, um, is we're going to see Jesus, our great hero, um, come up and he's just going to go uh, righteous uh, rage and a furious rage against the religious people in the temple because of what they're doing, what he sees going on, right? That's what we're going to unpack in this story today. Uh, and this is a familiar story. This is a story that many of you probably have heard before. Uh, you've heard it, and maybe some of the things standing out to you in your mind is, okay, here's Jesus, and he's like doing the original version of the whip, if you know what I mean. He's doing that, and he's flipping over tables, and coins are everywhere. Um, or maybe you've heard this story, and you're like, okay, this means we're not supposed to sell stuff in church. Here's what I hope that happens today. I pray that we get underneath that. Is there something greater going underneath those external things that's deeper in the text that I want you to see what's going on? What's going on is Jesus is not concerned about what's happening in the temple. He's concerned about what's happening in the hearts of the religious people that are in the temple. They have set up a religious uh, external uh, facade and they have this market, this mall, this emporium that they've set up that was supposed to be a place of worship. And they've made it a mockery. All right, So we're going to look at that today. Um, they become consumers instead of being consumed by Jesus in the house of God. That's what we're looking at today. And we, we're here today in this body. Now we know that the temple um, is no longer. right? The temple has fallen. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But this, this is where we gather. This is our gathering. This is the place that we're supposed to come in being consumed by Jesus and not being consumers of Jesus. Are you tracking? All right. This is not also limited to this gathering because we know now that Jesus tabernacles within us. He's everywhere. 
So our lives as Christians, those are who call themselves religious people, are we truly coming into this place, living our lives in such a way that we are consumed by Jesus, or are we guilty of the same things the religious leaders were of consuming religious things? That's where I'm going to really press in this morning, because I think that's what the text is going to do. Uh, Let me pray for us before we get in. Father, we do not take lightly opening up uh, this Bible today, the book where you've chosen to reveal your heart, your words to us. God, I pray that we today in the room, we have this insatiable appetite like your servant Jeremiah who said, I ate your words, I consumed them, and they were a delight to my heart. I pray we have that kind of appetite for the word today. God, I pray for people that are in this room here today, they don't know why they're here. They think it's just kind of happened and they just kind of walked in because they friend invited them. Maybe they're hurting, maybe they're broken, maybe they're scared, maybe they're questioning things. God, I pray that you wake them up and you give them a zeal that they've never, ever experienced in their life. I pray that you give them Jesus. God, as we open up your word, tell us who we are. Tell us who you are. And God, go tell us what to do about that. That's what we seek to do today. We love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and go there. And here's what we're going to, here's what we see that's happening here. John does not give us uh, the specifics of this, if this is chronological order or not. Like last week was the wedding at Cana, and it would seem that there's this chronological thing happening, but John doesn't give us the specifics and say, this is a chronological story that's happening on the front end of Jesus' ministry. We don't know that. He could have written it at the back end of his ministry and then inserted it here in the the story. Uh, The other synoptic gospels um, also have a story about Jesus turning over tables. We don't know if that's the same story or not. We don't know if if it's a different story, the same one. My point is this. There's a lot of debate over that. The when is not the important part. The what and the why is. So let's dive into the text. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, underline that if you have your Bibles out, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. He comes to the holiday of the Passover, which was the the most famous holiday then and the most famous holiday Today it is the day where the Jews would celebrate uh, the redemption of slavery from Egypt for 400 years. The day that God passed over their homes because they were marked by the blood of the Lamb. They passed over saving them and they would come together for this feast, this sacrifice, this worship. There was this big celebration where people from all over the world would come to this Passover. All, Jew, uh, all Jewish males, 19 and over, were required to be there. Not only required to be there, they wanted to be there. This was the epic uh, Jewish celebration. Equivalent would be uh, New Year's Eve in New York City, right? So you wanted to be there. A lot of people have gathered for this epic, epic celebration of the Passover. And Jesus arrives and he encounters Two groups of people, 
The first group of people would be the farmers, those that are selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. The second group of people encounters the money changers. Now, just so we don't get lost in those two people, what's really happening underneath that is the religious leaders, probably the Sanhedrin, they're, they're, they're running the whole thing. There's this big, extreme Ponzi scheme that's happening with this religious veneer to it, and they are capitalizing and setting up a market, a shopping mall, an emporium, if you will, inside a place where it was a place of worship. They were making a mockery. All right, so the first thing he encounters is the farmers, right? It's like farmer's market on steroids. There's animals there. There's the oxen. They, the Jewish people would be required as they showed up to present an animal sacrifice, right? That was the Old Testament sacrificial system. They had to bring something, an oxen or sheep, or if they were uh, impoverished, they would bring a pigeon. They would have to present an animal sacrifice for their sins, Well, as I said, they were coming from all over the lands. They would have had to travel miles and miles and miles away, and they would have had to tote their animal with them, which would have been very, very inconvenient, right? I mean, do you want to take an animal and long, long distances across? Traveling with animals is not a good thing long term, right? Tracking. Like I went to Florida like three months ago, four months ago. And for some reason, crazy reason, we took five people and our 100-pound German Shepherd Nitro on the trip with us in the car. All right? Not my idea. This was not cool at all. Uh, I lost that one. So we're in the car, and it smells horrible. You can imagine. I mean, it's a big dog and a small car. And we're in there. We're tracking. And that dog's got to go to the bathroom more than I do. All right? This is not going well. I'm not really feeling this. By the end of the trip, I wanted to make a sacrifice, if you know what I mean. Uh, I love my dog, you dog lovers. It's cool. He's still alive today. But the point here is, is that to, in order to avoid them having to travel from long, long distances, bringing their animals, the people said, hey, let's just set up the farmer's market right here. We can sell the sacrifices so they don't have to tote their, their animals from all across the land. It sounds plausible, right? That makes sense. Just set it here. It's a convenience. People are coming to worship. Let's just set it up right here, right? That's not the motivation. They were not trying to help people. They had a deeper motivation, and it was for personal gain. They wanted to mark up the cost of the animal so they could profit. Let me me tell you how they did that. Now, typically, the, the, the farmers would set up across the way, either the Kidron Valley or the Mount of Olives. That's where they normally would set up the the selling of the animals. So they said, hey. What if we put it closer to the gate, right? Let's get closer to the entrance of the temple. By doing that, we can really jack up the price of the animals and make it more convenient, right? It's like parking at the Titans game, right? You get closer to the gate and it just keeps, the price gouging just goes up, right? That's what's going on here. And they are price gouging. And that happens today, doesn't it, right? You get a water for a quarter at Target. Right? But you're going to pay $4 at the Titans game. You go to the movies and you can't bring food or you're not supposed to bring food, right? You know, y'all know what I'm saying. Listen, and you get there so they can charge you $89 for popcorn and Coke. <laughs> it is price gouging. All right? there, you feel like you're robbed. That's the injustice that's happening in here. Well, here's what else they were doing. 
These people that if they were to attempt to bring their animal sacrifices from all around the surrounding areas, they would get there and the religious leaders set up an inspection table kind of like. They would say, okay, we have to inspect your animal sacrifices to make sure they are without blemish. They are without spot to see if they're perfect and acceptable. Well, what do you think would happen if people tried to bring their own animal sacrifices to the inspection table? They're not good enough spot, blemish, you cannot use that, that sacrifice. You're going to have to go over to my boy's table over there. You have to buy one from them. What do you think they did? They jacked up the price of the animals. There's this Ponzi scheme that's happening uh, that, that is breaking the heart of Jesus that he begins to see what happens. All right. Second group of people that he meets is the money changers. All right. So in, in the approach of the money changers, why were they there? Well, they, there was a temple tax uh, that was being charged there. You had to, before you went into worship at Passover, you had to pay the temple tax. Well, the temple tax went towards the maintenance of the temple. It, it, they were continuing to build the temple. Well, this sounds good, right? Just charge the temple tax, you get in, and it helps to go towards the temple. But once again, that was not the motivation, as the people came from all around different foreign lands, they arrived with their money. Their money with their king's faces on the money, right? And they got to the temple and the temple tax said, hey, you can't pay in that money. You can't pay in all of your other king's and ruler's money. You have to pay in Tyrian money or Jewish coinage. You'll have to go exchange that, right? This is similar to uh, if you travel at um, airports and you've gone in and out at different countries where you would come in and you, so you go to Bangkok and you got to exchange your money for baht or Brussels and uh, you got to exchange it for euro or Japan, yen. You have to go exchange that at the airport for their money, right? That's what's happening. I went to Brussels one time. I think it was Brussels. And I showed up and I gave my hundo and they turned back and they gave me $80 in euros. And I'm like, what? I just got jobbed, right? Well, what's happening is they set up this scheme so then they could once again charge a higher commission on the exchange rate for money. Right? They got money out of it. They, they profited off every single aspect where people were coming to worship. They had created such a burden and to bear for people if they just wanted to worship God. Two to three days wages it was going to cost you. You had to buy the animal sacrifice that had been jacked up. You had to exchange your money to get into the temple. It was a heavy, heavy cost and a heavy, heavy burden to worship God. This, the equivalent of this would be like this. Not this, but kind of like this. Our Christmas service. Let's say we have this big Christmas service at Life Point, and we want a lot of people to come. Only this year, we're going to charge you to come to the Christmas service. And it's going to cost you two to three days' wages. And then when you get here, you have to pay Life Point money. So your dollars, you'll need to stop at the table, and you exchange the dollars for Life Point money. And Life Point money's got Pat's big old head on it. It's got a coin or a dollar bill. You've got to exchange it all. For life point money. And we have made it such a burden for you to come in and worship. This is incredible. Such a difficult thing. Now some of you, this is a question that pops up oftentimes. Well, we sell stuff in our cafe. Why do we sell stuff in a cafe? You sell coffee and muffins. We sell muffins so you would maybe 
eat breakfast here so you don't skip breakfast or you don't stay at the house and eat breakfast and become late to worship, which sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't work. Drink coffee. We provide coffee for you in the morning so you sing loud or, or maybe you don't fall asleep during my sermons. <laughs> we, we aid and those things are not deterrents from worship and they're also not for profit. Let me say that right now because many of you do not know this because we don't talk about it a whole lot. Do you realize that anything that you buy at our cafe, 100% of that goes to missions? 100%. We don't get an $8 t-shirt and jack it up to 10 and then gouge you for two. It's not what we do. 100% goes to missions. Not my personal gain. I'm not going to the day spa and getting massages with our price gouging. Now, if one of y'all want to hook me up on the side (laughs) with one of those gift certificates, if you know what I mean. (laughs) I'm free this week, so I'm just saying. We don't do that. All right, so there's something, once again, there's something else that's happening. It's not what's happening on the outside. It's what's happening on the hearts of the religious people. That is what has incited this righteous rage in Jesus Christ. All right, so let's look at what's happening here. But before we do that, there's one more thing I want to show you. One more thing. These farmers and the, uh, the money changers had to set up in a specific place in the temple, that area was called the Court of Gentiles. All right, in the, in the temple, there were areas divided. There was one area called the Court of Gentiles, the Court of Priests, the Holy of Holies, and the, there was a court for women and a court for women or men. There was all these divisions that were happening in the court. I want to show you a picture of our trip to Israel in February and kind of put us in the scene. This is the temple we're talking about. The last piece of the existent temple. Maybe it's, maybe it's coming. Maybe. Any minute. Here it comes. Nope. We got that, guys? Here you go. All right. Boom. This is called the Wailing Wall. All right. This is the last existence of that temple that we're talking about today. It had been destroyed by Rome in 70 AD. This is all that's left. All right, and I showed this pic. This is from my phone, so this is not a stock photo from the web. Listen, here's what's happening here. There's these divisions that are happening at this temple. Over here in this area, this is a temple. This is the court of women. So the women would have to go over there and pray, and they're all praying to the wall. Why? Because they still believe that God exists in the temple, that Jesus Christ has not come The Messiah has not returned, so he still exists in a wall. And they're desperately praying to concrete. Right? That's what's happening here. So here you, here you have the women. Here's the men. Men are allowed in this area. They were separate. And then down here in this little corner, this is the court of priests. The Holy of Holies would have been on the other side of that wall. But this is the court of priests down here. We, our team, entered into the court of priests where only religious leaders were really supposed to go. And we walked in. Let me show you a picture of what it looks like in there. We encountered uh, the Orthodox Jews praying once again, to this praying to this wall, these are the elitist of religiosity. They thought they were the ones, God's special chosen people. And then when we walked in as Gentiles, man, you should have seen the look on their faces. What are you doing in here? You should be outside on the court of Gentiles, not in here with us. You aren't good enough. We're God's people You are excluded. 
And the Gentiles back in the, in the temple that we're looking at today, they had, had a very negative view of the religious people. You're unwelcoming. You're pushing us out. You're not accepting of us. We haven't gone too far from that. Some of us who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ now, we have a tendency to drift back into self-righteousness. Look down upon people who don't know the Lord. Why do you do that? Don't you have what I have? I've got this. Thank God that I'm not like them, right? That prayer? And begin to look down upon people. Church, let us not forget what it's like to be in the court of Gentiles. We were all there. Every single one of us in the court of Gentiles. And the only way that you can access God today through Jesus Christ is because he imputed his righteousness to you. It was alien to you. It was foreign to you. It was unattainable by you until God says, righteous. That should make us the most humble people on the face of the earth and never look at people undeserving of God's grace. Let us not remember what it's like to live and be in the court of Gentiles. All right, let's keep going in the text, and we're going to see Jesus' response to this scheme that's happening. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus has a righteous rage. It overflows. He begins to act on it. Now this is not clearly, we're not talking about six pound, eight ounce, golden fleece diapers Jesus, right? That's not who we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, tender-hearted, meek, weak, feeble, blonde hair, blue eyes, feathery hair, Jesus, hugging a child. We're not talking about Mr. Rogers, Jesus. We're talking about Jesus, who was very much portrayed like a Maximus in the Scriptures. He was rough. He was rugged. And he sees this treachery, and he acts in anger. Anger. He begins to thread a whip of cords. Like, I don't know if he brought the whip, if it, it said he made it before. I don't know if he made it beforehand. He's got a whip of cords. Now, listen, if someone in the corner is making a weapon and you've just ticked them off, something's getting ready to go down, right? He's weaving a whip together and he starts going Indiana Jones on everybody in the temple. He's slashing that thing around. He's smacking tail of the donkeys, the sheep, the oxen, all the animals, and the humans. He's driving them out of the temple. He is furious. Why? Because they had come to a place of worship consuming instead of being consumed by the glory of God. That is why. Not because of what they were doing, but because of what was going on in their hearts. Anger. We see Jesus becoming angry. Jesus sinned because he's Angry here isn't sin and anger. There's sin that is anger, and then there's righteous anger. Anger that's sin. Brad talked about that today. He's a sinner, right? You yelled at somebody on the road, right? We're all there with you. So if, if I'm driving on I-24, 
and, and somebody cuts me off, and we've, you've been in that traffic like two hours, right? You're on the way home, two hours. Someone cuts you off, and you wave at them with your one finger, right? Not the whole hand, the one finger. You wave at them, sin, all right? If I'm watching something really important on TV, and the, the, the weather lady interrupts the service, and I'm like, oh, come on, unrighteous anger. If I'm watching the Vols play on Saturday, unrighteous anger in me. It just wells up, and I'm yelling at the TV. Why do you do it? And then, and then I repent, and then I remember that my joy is not found in what a 19-year-old does with the ball, right? We tracking that? I get centered when I come around that. So there is an unrighteous anger that we have, and then there is righteous anger. Righteous anger. When we see a church shooting in Antioch, that should breed righteous anger. We see racism all over our country and the cancer that it is eroding not only the world but the church as well. We see white churches and black churches and Puerto Rican churches and all these different. That, that incites anger in me. We're one people, gospel united. When I hear a preacher preach a gospel that contains no hell and it's all heaven, that incites righteous anger in me. When I hear a preacher or a pastor or a Christian say, it's okay to be a Christian, and then you get to decide whatever sex that you want to be today, that incites a righteous anger in me. There's all kind of injustices in this world, and if we are quiet, if we take ourselves out and say, I don't want to be a part of that, we are guilty of the sin of passivity. If we don't do anything, Jesus died for nothing. We're called to step into those places, not with our opinions, but with our actions, and fight against injustice, right? With the hope of restoration, right? I'm sure Jesus probably wanted the Pharisees to repent of what they were doing. They clearly didn't do that. That is what we're called to do with this righteous anger. Now, here's what he says next. Jesus said, Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Do not make my father's house. Jesus just said, my father's house. This is crazy, y'all. No one talks like that. No one before Jesus ever would claim or declare that that was his father's house. God was so distant from man. And now here, this man here says, my father, intimate relationship Jesus Christ is declaring deity, the second person of the Godhead, the Son. Jesus, you are either crazy or you are God. You're either insane or that's the most precious truth that I've ever heard in my entire life. Jesus, you are either the biggest liar, the most insane lunatic on the face of the earth that ever was, or your Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's one of those three for everybody. One of, you got to do something with him because historically Jesus existed. No one denies that. So which one was he? Was he liar? Was he lunatic? Was he Lord? That just told me he's Lord. Man, I pray that you see him for who he truly is, that Jesus is Lord, his declaration. And he says these things this zeal for my house consumes me, is what Jesus said. When he said that, zeal has consumed me. 
his disciples remembered Psalm 69. Zeal for my house has eaten me up. They remembered that they knew that Psalm 69. He said, I remember that. Jesus, I know what Jesus is doing now. I know what he's doing right now. He has a zeal and a passion for the glory of God. And he's fighting against people who call themselves Christians with a veneer outside that looks like they're, they're religious, but on the inside, they're rotting away whitewashed tombs. And that is what's incited this anger in him. Let's keep going in the text, 18 through 22. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The religious leaders were always threatened by Jesus. He was a threat to their authority. Every time he came around, they got all tight, and he was pressing into their authority. They were the authority to the Jews And now Jesus comes in and does something that no one would dare do in the temple, flipping tables and driving out worshipers. What authority do you have, Jesus, to do this? What sign do you have that says that you can do that and call this your father's house? Show me a sign and I'll believe. That's what they said. Give us a sign and then I'll obey you. If you just do a miracle, if you'll just dance for us, Jesus, if you just perform a miracle on demand, then I will believe, is what the Pharisees are saying. Don't you hear that from people today? God, if you're real, just show me something. Just reveal a miracle. Then I will believe. If if you'll just take away this cancer that's eating away my mother or my grandmother, my loved one, if you just take away this cancer and do this miracle, I'll believe I'll do whatever you tell them to do. If you just give me a spouse, if you just give me a wife or a husband, if you just rescue me from this financial burden that I'm in, if you give me a job, if you just do this, then I'll believe. Jesus, dance for me. Do a miracle on demand. Jesus says, I will not do a miracle for you because he's already done it. He's already done it. Paul in Romans tells us that we have no excuse that God has already revealed himself through a general revelation through creation. The sun, the moon, the stars, the atoms, the dust, everything that he created is enough revelation to make you know there's a God. He didn't stop there. He revealed more of himself to the person of Jesus Christ. Lived a perfect life, virgin birth, miracle. Died the death that you and I deserved. And then he raised himself up from the dead three days later. That's a miracle. And no other miracle is needed for anyone ever to believe upon Jesus Christ. That's it. He's done. So that's what he's saying. That's the authority I have. Here's my authority I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise and raise myself up from the dead. That's how I speak to you on that authority. 
And if you want worshipers in your life and you want to be the authority in your life, that's all you have to do. Die and then raise yourself up from the dead three days later. People will follow you. People will worship you. You'll have a lot of authority. Jesus Christ did. And that was enough. All right? When Jesus also said, destroy this temple, and three days later I'll raise it up. They didn't understand what he was talking about. He's speaking code to them. What are you talking about? It took us 46 years to build this temple. And you're saying that you're going to destroy it right now, and then three days later build it back up? This is crazy. You're insane, Jesus. They didn't understand what he was talking about. I said, I'm talking about this physical temple. I'm talking about the temple of my body. You're going to crush it. I'm going to be crucified on the cross. And then three days later, I'll build it back again. Jesus is the temple. Right? So they did not know. They did not understand. Let's close this out in verse 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem in the Passover feast, many believed. Many believed. Every time you see the word believe in the Gospel of John, underline it. Because what we're seeing is a theme being played out. In his name, when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knew what was in those Pharisees. He knows exactly what's inside of us. He knows. But what I want you to see, we we just saw, they ended this story today, the disciples believed. That's what we just saw. What you are seeing week in and week out with the wedding at Cana, the miracle, and the conclusion of that story was the sign and then the people believed. Now we see another sign of authority today and the people believed. Why is that important? This is John's theme, remember? We, we, we head on this for three, four weeks on the front of this book. John 20, 30-31, the purpose of this book. Why did John write it to you and to me so that we would believe. So what you're seeing is John stay on task. Believed, disciples believed, disciples believed, disciples believed. It's the pattern and it's the theme. How did people believe? They believe it because they saw a sign. They saw Jesus. They didn't come to an intellectual ascent. They didn't study Jesus from afar and come to this acknowledgement, okay, now I'm going to believe. They saw a sign, and then they believed. John's purpose for writing this book is so that you would believe. Listen, if you're in this room today, and you have not ever believed upon Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of your sins, the Lord of your life, that is John's heart, that is my heart. I want you to believe Believe upon Jesus. If you are here and you're a guest and you are, uh, you're kind of just coming seeking and you don't know why you're here today. I don't know about this God and this Jesus and all these things. Listen, keep coming. I love the fact that you're here. I'm getting ready to say some harder things in a, in a minute to those that call themselves Christ followers. But right now, for you guests and people that do not know Christ as Lord, listen, keep coming. We love the fact that you're here. We want you to see Jesus when you walk out these doors every single time. As I said, this story has been misconstrued for several years. 
and we, we get lost in the, the forest because of the trees, and it's about not selling things in church, and Jesus becoming angry, and all these things. And what we really see what's happening here is religious people who called themselves lovers of God attending worship. They never missed a Passover. They never missed a Sabbath, ever. Singing, offering sacrifices, performing all of the external requirements of a religious person, hiding behind religious things. But Jesus knew what was in the heart of man, and he saw right through him, and he cut right through, and he says, listen, you're not really here for me. You really are not here because you're consumed by me. You're not really consumed by the glory of God. You're here consuming. And let's just pause right there, because I want that to resonate through us. Listen, if that's you today, and you are clothed in religion, You call yourself a follower of Jesus. You have great zeal for the glory of God. When you come into this place, and we know that this doesn't just extend, this extends way beyond just this gathering, right? So we're going to talk about this first. You come here on Sunday in this gathering, walking through the door with a consuming fire in you, consumed by the zeal of God. Or do you come in consuming? What can I get? Will they watch my children? Will they sing to me? Will they preach to me? Will they serve good drinks in the cafe for me? Will I get a good parking spot today? Will I get my favorite seat? Will they sing the songs that I like to sing? Listen, just because we ain't exchanging money in here doesn't mean the heart's not at play. God is looking at the heart. And he knows. He knows why you're here today. He knows why I'm here today. He knows the darkness of my heart when it's not right. And he knows exactly what's going on in your heart and the motivation why you are here today. You see, we are all zealous for something. Everybody has zeal for something. Jesus was zealous for the glory of God. But we have zeal for other things in our life. Things that compete for our zeal. Our kids, job, money, relationships, sports. We have all these things competing for our Zeal And Jesus said, I will not share with any other. I will not compete for your zeal. When you come here on Sunday, do you come consuming or consumed by Jesus Christ? When this gathering comes up on Sunday, when it's on Sunday morning and you wake up or Saturday coming in together, this, remember this is the place of worship just like the temple. Do you regularly Choose that thing over coming to worship God. I'm not talking about the 8.30 fever in the morning or the, the puking, the sickness, and the out of town uh, for whatever. I'm talking about regularly. The gathering of the saints where we come in here to worship, is there something that competes for your zeal that if placed with a decision to come in here and gather here or even through the week, you you regularly choose this over worshiping in the glory of God. If you do, I ask you, what do you have more zeal of? What do you have more zeal for? Are you really consumed by Jesus or are you consumed by this thing over here? If I tell you that I love lasagna and I love lasagna, y'all, 
but I eat chicken McNuggets seven days a week for every meal, what am I really zealous for? What am I really zealous for? If I'll tell you I love my wife, but I'll spend time with another woman, what am I really in love with? If I tell you that I love Jesus, but I regularly will choose something else over worshiping God, that's a heart issue. And we're not getting into attendance and all of those things with Sundays. Listen, it's a heart issue. It's not an attendance issue. You need to search through, listen to God, ask him to give you a zeal that's unmatched for Jesus. And write you, right? That's our hope. That's my prayer today, that we would walk away examining our hearts and finding where we fit into that. Because here's the deal. The consumer in the room, if, you're, if, that's, if that even hit a nerve with you and you're like, I just, I, just want, I just need stuff for me. Listen, here's the greatest gift. When you come in and your heart's been transformed and you are consumed by Jesus, here's the ironic thing. All those things that you wanted, he gives you all of them. Because the greatest need, the greatest want, the greatest desire that you actually have is himself. So when you're consumed by Jesus, you get everything and more and more and more abundantly than what you ever thought you could. That's why all of this points to Christ. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. You are good and gracious. Father, your word never fails. It never falls on deaf ears. We know that you are going to do a mighty work in the hearing and the reading of your scripture today. God, would you examine ourselves today to find out where we fall, remove any kind of idea of consumer Christianity in our hearts? Humble ourselves to do that. And the God, the beauty of what you do. When our face is in the ground and we can come to terms with who we really, really are and confess and repent the beauty of what you do only to be raised up. To bow and sing once more. You are holy God. Thank you for Christ. We love you and we pray in his name. Amen.